Welcome to the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree podcast with our host, pastor, historian, and Bible teacher, George DeYoung. In today's episode, George takes us on a journey to answer the question of how did Jesus engage the world? And based on that discovery, how can we engage the world like Jesus? Well, that expression, better late than never, is really never more appropriate when it comes to watching The Chosen. Yes, Beth and I just started watching The Chosen, and we're a little bit late to the party, but are we enjoying that series? The creators of that series are inviting us into thinking about the disciples as young boys and young men, and thinking of Jesus as the Word became flesh, as He took on human form. What was that like for Him? I realize that oftentimes, and it's not wrong, I've thought of Jesus in terms of His salvific terms, his, how He substitutes, takes my place, and uh, substitutes for me and pays for my sins, how he's a second Adam, how, uh, as the book of Hebrews say, that we don't have a high priest who can't identify. He's been tempted in every way. I've understood it in those terms, but through the chosen, my eyes are opened to look at Jesus from yet a different perspective, kind of a missiological perspective uh, in terms of the incarnation. I mean, we as the body of Christ can learn a lot from Christ in terms of how he engages the world. Now understand where he came from. He came from heaven, where everything is the way God wants it to be. There's perfection in heaven. There's nothing wrong in heaven, except maybe one thing. And I know this might get me on some thin ice, but I would argue that the only thing that's wrong in heaven, according to God, is that you and I aren't there. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He wants us there with him, and then it'll be perfect for God. So Jesus steps forward and says, Father, I'll go. And go, he does. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what the chosen is about. I love it. And I love the way they depict Jesus. Jesus as one who is learning. That really came to the fore for me in that episode early on in the series when Jesus and his disciples, they're not all called yet, but he's coming with uh, seven or eight disciples to a wedding feast. Now, Of course, Jesus has been invited, and the way the show depicts it, it's because Jesus brought his disciples that it put a strain on the amount of wine that was needed for this wedding. Well, Mary is dear friends with the mother of the groom, and according to the show, she's helping with this wedding. So it's not surprising that the the wine vendors come to Mary and said, we're running out of wine. We don't have any wine. That would bring great shame to the family. I remember when uh, I was at Boaz's house. Boaz was a guide of mine in Israel a number of years ago. And I was in between trips, and he invited me to his home for Shabbat. And um, as his wife was preparing the Shabbat meal, his kids preparing for Shabbat, Boaz and I had an opportunity to sit at the kitchen table. And and there on the table was uh, the challah bread covered with a tea towel and a bottle of wine. Boaz asked me, George, why is the bread covered before the wine? I said, well to keep the flies off? He chuckled and he said, well, yeah, that too. But he said, you know, bread feeds the body and the body for work. Wine feeds the spirit and gives us joy. And the bread is humbled before the wine. And I like that. The authors of the Westminster Catechism were onto that when they said, what's the chief end of man? But to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The bread is humbled before the wine. It's interesting, at this wedding feast, they weren't concerned about running out of food. They were concerned about running out of wine. It would have bring great dishonor 
to the family if they were to run out of wine. It would be a bad omen for the relationship to run out of joy. And so Mary is approached and, uh, and she comes to Jesus. And, and I've always wondered why Jesus responded the way he did. Woman, it's not yet my time. In the show, they give you a sense that Jesus is a little reluctant because he doesn't want it to be his time yet. He's so enjoying his interaction with the children. He's so enjoying his interaction with the disciples, all under the radar, as it were. But with this miracle, um, with this incident, if, if he acquiesces, there's a very strong chance that it'll go viral and word of this miracle will spread throughout town. Woman, it's not my time yet. Whether that's the case or not, I enjoy the opportunity to think about it. The camera shifts to Mary's face, and this dear woman's face kind of saddens. And she looks at Jesus, and she says nothing. But she turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And Jesus tells them to fill the six stone jars. Well, you know how the story goes, that that water is brought to the wine steward. And the family, aware of the embarrassment and the shame of running out of wine, tentatively listens to the declaration of the steward and then are surprised as he exclaims, they've saved the best for last. (laughs) And the party continues and there's great joy. And then the camera shifts to Mary and she, Mary scans the room and her eyes lock onto the eyes of Jesus and their hearts touch and Mary mouths the words, thank you. And Jesus nods his head as if to say, I think, thank you to Mary for teaching me that it is my time. You see, Jesus is learning, and that intrigues me, and that blesses me. All right, we're going to take just a quick break here for a friendly reminder that just as Jesus was learning, we too need to learn. And you can join us on one of our upcoming trips to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel, where we will engage with the history and context of the Bible as we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on all God has for us. You can learn with us in the lands of the Bible. We have lots of room on our upcoming trips, and we'd love to see you join us on any one of them. You can visit www.underthefigtree.org to learn more about our trips and sign up today. Now, back to George. Jesus learns. I think that's intriguing and a blessing to me, that Jesus came to this broken world of broken people who keep breaking things, And he learns a number of things. He learns something from the Syrophoenician woman, that his mission is larger than the Jews. And then he learns something about the Romans in Luke chapter 6. There's that story. Luke crafts these two stories that I think go together. The Roman centurion whose servant, his doulos, in Greek, the word doulos is translated as servant, but it's also more often translated, and I think a stronger translation is slave. Well, Jesus is on the way to Copernicum, as Luke tells it. You know the story. The elders come out and they say, Rabbi, you have to do this miracle for us because the centurion has built our synagogue. If you've ever been to Copernicum, then you know that that synagogue was huge. There's a fourth century synagogue built on the foundations of the first century synagogue. That's the one that was there during Jesus' time. It was immense. So what did it mean for the centurion to have built the synagogue? I don't know. I don't think he 
paid for everything, but I do think that he was heavily involved, that he merited the elders' love and affection. Because you see, this Roman centurion saw something that was going on here in Capernaum. There was something in that synagogue, those people, that drew him in, that built his affection, that changed his worldview, so that he saw his slave as a fellow human being, and his heart went out to him. He was learning well of the God through the people of God at Capernaum. Well, these elders go out to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you please heal him? They are soon followed by those soldiers who exclaim that, you know, our master doesn't feel that he merits your attention or your presence in his house, but you have but to say the word. He's a man of authority. You're a man of authority. And then Jesus is amazed. He's learned something. When you're amazed, you didn't realize this before. You've got, you got to be kidding. This is amazing. Well, as Luke tells it, Jesus doesn't bother to go into Copernicum. The next story follows immediately. It's as if Jesus pivots and heads south to a town called Nain. Nain means pleasant, but it's not pleasant in Nain. Because as Jesus and his entourage make their way towards Nain, I think celebrating the events um, with the the, the centurion and the, the healed slave, um, they're celebrating that and marveling at that. Out comes another entourage, and they are doing anything but celebrating their mourning. And um, you see that morning when she went to wake up her son, her only son, and she a widow, she found that her son was deceased. There was great crying and wailing. Her world is upside down. Her world was inside out. Her future was bleak at best. Anyhow, Jesus, his heart is moved. And as that entourage passes by, Jesus stops them, reaches out, grabs the mat, the burial mat on which the boy is laid as they're taking him to the tomb to prepare him to be buried there. Jesus says to him, get up. And with that, he gets up. And he begins asking people questions, which is kind of an interesting detail. Then the crowd is amazed and they say, a prophet is appearing among us. That word appearing is, is really an interesting word. It's hygairo in Greek. It means to raise or awaken. And, and it's the idea, it's a picture that a prophet is awakening among us. Uh, that there's something about Jesus and the way he engaged this boy and told him to get up. That they're saying, Jesus is, he's awakening among us. Jesus is learning. Hygairo. And I, I thought, well, where else does that word agairo appear? That's just a question I always ask when I look up some of these words. And it appears earlier in this story. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says to the boy. Agairo, wake up. And then I thought, well, where else does the word appear? And it appears every time in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, when they're talking about the resurrection, when the angel says, he's not here, he's arisen. But you could translate it maybe even better. He's not here. He woke up. He's awake. Now, there's no question that there's the raising up of Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the resurrection, and he's talking about how God raises people up. In fact, in chapter, chapter 6, verse 40, it says, for Jesus is speaking here. He says, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. Now, the word there for raise is anahistami. It's a different word. It means literally to lift up, to raise up. And, and so when it comes to us, to our resurrection, to us, yes, God will lift us up. But from our side, we're going to wake up. 
And I love that. I love that. And I think about that, what you and I share, all of us share in common. And it's the most predominant, powerful, parable life lesson that all of us share every day. Because every day, each of us at some point goes to sleep. And every day, each of us, if you're listening to this broadcast, uh, each of us wakes up. And it's almost as if God is saying, you see, when you're in me, this is what it'll be like. This is what it is like. Paul will later on say, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Well, there's the lesson and there's the, the message and the ministry of waking up in Christ. There's the lesson in the ministry of watching others wake up um, because there are those who have eyes that see but don't see and ears that hear but don't hear. They have hearts that beat but don't beat. They have lungs that breathe but really don't breathe until they encounter Christ, until they encounter the body of Christ. Well, that body of Christ, like you, me, like our rabbi and Lord Jesus, we are a learning and growing body as we continue to learn and grow in him. My friends, keep learning, keep listening, keep living, and keep loving because you are so loved. I share this with you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus came to a world full of broken people, and you and I live in a world full of people who just keep breaking things. But as George reminded us today, when Jesus engaged the world, he learned. As we engage his world, may we reflect Jesus' love to those around us by continuing to always learn and listen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find additional episodes from George and the Fruit From Under the Fig Tree podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all of your favorite podcast apps. And don't forget, visit us at www.underthefigtree.org to find out more about our upcoming trips to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. They just might change your life and the way that you learn.